his goal to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Here we go. Kia ora everybody, what's up? It is Rebet Hollis and welcome to Rebet Live episode 310 on Today FM. Very excited for today. I'm back in action. You know who else is back in action? TT. How are you, my friend? Welcome in, welcome in. Yeah, it's good to be back with that. It's, it was a nice break, but I was getting a bit bored, I'll be honest. There you go. I'm telling you, you got to get back out. You got the golf clubs. You swung them out a bit, and now you get ready to get back in the mix. Stoked that you're back on, bro. Stoked that you're back in. Thanks, All right, team. Today on the show, we've got a whole bunch happening. Actually, before we start there, I'm going to quickly tell you about what I've just spent. I woke up very early this morning in Disneyland. I've been there all week with the final. And I've just driven about seven hours straight back, straight into the studio, and here I am. So, apple juice is ready, water's ready. It is 12.04 in Aotearoa, New Zealand, 5.04 here in San Francisco. Coming up on the show today, stock market hasn't been looking too gravy lately. What's going on? We'll be talking to uh, Paul Cookenden from Easy Crypto. Young Bucks profiling some young Kiwis. We've got Viv Beck, the Auckland mayoral candidate that's going to be jumping on as well, as well as Kerepe McDonald for today time, and that and a whole lot more. If you're listening to this now, you can send a text message. You send that text message to 3920, or you can ring me on 0800 Today FM. The question for this morning, wherever you're at, is, you know, Dom asked me before about balance. And one of the things I'll do is with my cell phone, I'll, it goes automatically on do not disturb after seven o'clock. No one can get me unless you're, you know, super, super special, like my mum or something that will ring twice and say, hey, Rebet, the internet's not working. Where does the Ethernet cable go? What's the Ethernet? Uh, question for the day. What is your hack, your little mini hack that you do to stay balanced in your life? Do you have a little hack? You know, do you take a little eight-minute siesta? Do you have a little special notebook? Do you, you know, have a set planning sessions? Whatever it may be. I'm interested to know in some of the ways that you stay balanced uh, and how you try and, you know, balance this crazy life that we've got coming up. So, a uh, whole bunch happening on the show today. Super excited. Let's get into the show. Mentor, Sherpa, Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live. On Today FM. There we have it. All right, starting off, one of the biggest business stories this week. Uh, the stock market crash. Numbers did not go up. It was not like the the third year projections for all startups where you get the crazy hockey stick. It's smashing down to the ground. Uh, since the beginning of the April, the markets have been trending down. And obviously in the last couple of weeks, not looking too good. And a whole bunch of investors everywhere getting a little bit nervous. Uh, so to help make sense of what's going on with the markets, I'm joined by Paul Quickenden, the head of corporate development at Easy Crypto, to hear a little bit more. Kia ora, my bro. How are you? I'm really well. Thanks for the introduction, Robert. How are you there going? You go. I'm, I'm okay, mate. I'm okay. I'm over here and, you know, in the States and everything, obviously, in Silicon Valley and, and uh, San Francisco is extremely tied into the, uh, you know, the tech space, the cryptoverse, all this other crazy, you know, Web3, everything. Um, so I guess the most obvious question to kick off with is uh, everything going down? Why? Is there one answer? Let's start there. Um, look, at, at, a, at a macro level, I think what we're seeing is the impact of the Federal Reserve starting to signal or, or actually starting to taper off quantitative easing, which was flooding the market with cheap money. And coupled that with the interest rates, you know, investors decided that going, in, out, going out of risky assets like 
tech shares in, in crypto was a good idea, and it just kind of created a compounding run. And so that's that's what's happening across the board. You're seeing, you know, all of the indices, the Nasdaq come down. Uh, you're seeing some of the tech darlings like Tesla and Amazon, you know, get absolutely smashed. Um, and Bitcoin has largely followed that kind of trajectory. In fact, it's almost exactly the same as, as those two assets at the moment. So that's kind of what's going on, uh, broadly speaking. Um, you know, everyone is just a bit jittery about what's going on. And, you know, understandably, you, there is a lot. Uh, in terms of us to digest globally with Sri Lanka, with what's going on in Ukraine, oil prices, inflation, all that sort of stuff. All that, all that good stuff. When you look at the global economy, and you know, one of the things through COVID is, you know, everything the world shut down, everything went to zero. But all, all of a sudden as well, we were looking at how everything's connected globally. You know, and a lot of people they're seeing this and starting to sort of yeah. panic, and a few people are starting to sort of sell. Do you think this is a bad move for them? Oh, look, uh, everyone's in their own unique position, Robert. And so, um, you know, the, the greatest investors in all time sort of, sort of indicate that you don't sell when everyone else is selling. Uh, but it, it really does depend on you and your risk appetite and, you know, what's going on. Um, I don't know, and I couldn't couldn't honestly say if this is the bottom for the, the, the share market or crypto. There are a, a bunch of people out there that are calling it. We're seeing um, in our particular marketplace uh you know a, a similar a similar pattern to what we were seeing the, the entire year where buyers are just just exceeding sales we've had days where it's obviously inverted so you know the market seems to be saying yeah that they are at, at good buy prices and and you know dollar cost averaging in or whatever their buy their buy strategy is but they are people sort of tapping into the lower prices on, on the hope that it will rebound sometime or as they say Buy the dip, buy the dip. Uh, I've got a quick buy question for those that, buy the dip, that aren't necessarily too much aware of the sort of crypto space, looking at the markets and obviously, you know, in the States here, the crypto world's been going pretty yep. massive with sponsorship everywhere. How directly correlated from your experience is kind of the regular stock market and, you know, the NASDAQ, S&P and bits and pieces versus crypto world? Are they kind of overlap? Are they sort of, you know, like, are they similar yeah. or not? Well, look, it's a great question. Um, so I've been in crypto long enough to know that in, back in 2017, 2018, the narrative that was we really want institutional money to come into crypto and that will, that will bolster its volumes and it will go on a new growth trajectory. And it, it appears that that has happened. And the way that um, institutional investors and funds have done that is they've treated Bitcoin as they, as they would a tech stock. And so... I don't have the, the data in front of me, but I have seen some some correlation work by Valkyrie Investments and those guys who are research has, uh, houses, and it, it is really high. It's like 90% correlated with tech stocks at the moment. And so in that in, in that light, no real surprise that it's trending the same way. Um, there There is hope that – there was hope that Bitcoin in particular was kind of a – a safe haven asset, you know, a third asset class or fourth asset class, depending on how you hold your eyes. Um, but that doesn't appear to be the case at this point in time. When people um, don't understand, I guess, the crazy world that is that is crypto, the wild west of this unregulated bits and pieces that gets pretty nuts, but at the same time there's a whole bunch in there. How do you best describe cryptocurrency to an average old mate joe at the pub uh, that has got no idea what you're talking about how do you how do you start that conversation how do i do it i, yeah. I, I talk about digital assets i call it a, a digital asset and and 
you know, it's kind of the evolution in, in a way it, it can be the evolution of money, which started out as, you know, pieces of silver and, and moved to paper and then became digital. And this is this is just another evolution or it could be a store of value. It depends on the actual asset underneath, but it, it's basically digitizing value is how I think about it. And mm. the, the unique thing about it is that it operates on these things called blockchains and they go 24 seven. So, you know, if you're in New Zealand and you try and buy stocks outside of certain windows, the markets over there, are, uh, US stocks in particular, are shut. You know, they, they, they work sort of eight, eight hours a day. Crypto doesn't do that. It, it's globally available and it, it operates 24-7. And so, um, and it, you know, brings some, some benefits. But it also, as you've said, you know, it isn't entirely regulated exactly the same way. There is a, there is a bunch of regulation in the space, but it's not the same way as a stock. And so, you know, that does mean it comes with its own quirks and volatility and that sort of stuff. Mm. Do you eventually think that, um, you know, governments and, you know, obviously seen different places around the world start to um, uh, really embrace sort of digital assets and stuff. At what point do you think, um, you know, big countries start really ad either adopting or putting regulations around and stuff like what's the solution to bring the big industrial sort of cash in? How do you see this playing out? Um, look, I think I think it's. It certainly has a bunch of regulation around it, so I don't know if it's it's not the Wild West that it used to be in 2016, 2017. It's certainly not that anymore. Um, you know, I think the the thing that the big the big institutional funds are looking for is is a Bitcoin spot ETF. There are futures ETFs at the moment, but I think they're waiting on a spot, um, and that that's basically making something look like a square peg and they can buy it. You know, that's. They can't, their, their fund structures and rules don't really allow them to participate freely in the, in the, in the crypto market. And as soon as you present something to them that those funds can, then I think that'll do it. But even then, you know, a reasoned response would be to add a small allocation of crypto, you know, sort of anywhere between uh, 2 and 7% or something like that, depending on the risk profile of the fund. Um, you obviously are pretty plugged into this crypto space while while we're at it, and I'm over here. Too. I'm interested in your take on Luna going from like 120 to one, oh, wow. 120 dollars to like one cent, going off the peg in there. Uh, for those that aren't aware of that specific thing, can you give a quick macro and then your take on what happened there? Because a lot of people lost a lot, a lot, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, they did. Sadly, um, look, I'll I'll give you a, a layman's take on it because uh, there is some deep math behind it that is beyond my understanding, but I'll, I'll give you what I can. <laughs> so um, Terra, Terra launched with a couple of coins. One was volatile called Luna, and one was called a stable coin. And stable coins are, are supposed to be that, just stable. And they're normally pegged to the dollar. So, um, you, you know, the biggest one on the planet at the moment is USDT, Tether, um, oh, yeah. and, you know, USDC and all that sort of stuff. So it was trucking along pretty well. It was pegged to the dollar, doing a good job, and that was going... Uh, gangbusters while the market was going up and Luna was appreciating. And Luna is the volatile asset as well as a bit of Bitcoin was sitting behind that that, that were um, the collateral for that, that stable coin. Um, then, you know, this this and this particular stable coin is not dollar backed, so it's algorithmically backed. So there's kind of a smart contract in the background going buy and sell this, buy and sell this, redeem this, that kind of stuff. And what happened was when the market started going south, um, the algorithmic sell kind of kicked in and it started um, selling a lot of Luna into the market, which obviously depressed the price and created a vicious circle. And then the, the organization, I'll use that term, the foundation behind um, Luna started kicking in to prop it up and they started dumping a lot of Bitcoin at the same time. 
and effectively it created a vicious circle, kind of a you know a death spiral for that. And um, and at the same time, a whole people obviously realised that, that was not great news and tried to tried to sell, which created like a classic money run type of thing you've seen in banks and other countries where you know the, the money's run out, that sort of stuff. And essentially, black swan death spiral kind of event. That would be how I'd think about it. And yeah. and you know the, the people behind it are still trying to resurrect it, but it's you know it's looking tenuous at best. I guess is how I would say that. Yeah. So basically, one hundred and twenty dollars turned to one cent in a matter of days, yeah. which is couple, couple absolutely days, insane. It, it, in, totally. Yeah, it is, and and I really feel for the people involved in that because they thought they were investing in a stable asset. Um, and it, and, I, and it's classic stuff that we all say to everyone who gets into investing. You know, uh, understand what you're investing in, and understand um, what you can afford to lose. And uh, I've read, you know, some of the Twitter threads, and it's it's heartbreaking because there are some mm. people who didn't really follow that rules and have lost a lot. And yep. you know, it just it's sad. It really is. Yeah. And then on top of that too, with you know the NFT world, which you can get into a, a whole bunch. So it's definitely a, a big world. One of the things that I, I said a, a little bit ago is, you know, if you're going to step into it, do it. Do some deep digging. Do some actual research. Mm-hmm. Don't just let us, listen to some Twitter people and do some crazy stuff. And it's you know it's definitely out there. And obviously in the states is big too. But um, really appreciate yeah. your, your time uh, jumping jumping on and uh, and sharing with us today. Uh, if people want to you know check out some more, obviously you can check out Easy Crypto. Do, do a bit of digging there um but this world of digital assets is a is obviously a real thing it's going to be you know these these drawdowns happen up to 85 percent time and time if you look at if you look at the history for it so appreciate your time joining yeah. uh re- re- thanks for the time Paul. legend appreciate it thanks robert see you rock and roll all right that was paul quickenden from easy crypto talking through the the, the, the i guess the stock market that's going on right now and also a little bit of the world of crypto it's obviously new stuff um definitely be doing your own research it's a crazy world out there when it comes to digital assets and all sorts of bits and pieces uh you're listening to today fm after the break we're going to be talking to a young buck what is a young buck you're about to find out time now is 12 17 in aotearoa new zealand 5 17 here in san francisco but you're on saturday it's still friday afternoon so apple juices are ready to roll see you in a sec team Rebet Live. Live from Silicon Valley. The hub of the tech universe. With tips on unleashing your entrepreneurial potential. On Today FM. There we have it. Rebet Live, episode 310. 1219 in Aotearoa, New Zealand. 519 here in San Francisco. Up next is Young Bucks. What is a Young Buck, you may ask? Well, I'll tell you. I'll give you my own. I made that word up, by the way. It's just Young Buck. It's, you know, a young up-and-comer in business that's doing good things and is uh, taking on the world of business. Today's Young Buck is Jay Redden, uh, currently a year to 13 student at Tokoroa High School, or Hafahad. Uh, she is uh, Maori, Samoan, Aboriginal descent and making waves in the clothing world. Earlier this year, she launched the platform, like that name, uh, a clothing brand with a twist. Without further ado, let's welcome to the show, Jay Redden. Kia ora. Hello. How are you? How's the Saturday going? Um, great. I just finished three netball games and I'm off to rugby soon, so Wait, great. Three netball games? And then rugby, what, you better yeah. be either refing it or you playing in all this. Are you just like, you just a weapon on and off the court. What are you doing? <laughs> Pardon? I... What, did you play three different netball games and now you're about to play rugby and you're running the business and still yes, at school? Yes. Yes, oh, yes. Jeez. Oh, you're one of those ones, huh? 
Yeah, or one of these like hard outs, <laughs> just flipping sending it. All right, so tell me a little bit about the platform. What is it? Um, it is a clothing brand. Um, so I started, it was to cater for um, bigger sizes. That was my main objective. Um, and what platform meant to me was um, anyone can take the stand and shine. So I do cater for my bigger girls and guys, um, extra, extra small to 6XL. And yeah, that was my objective to get it out there and support the ones that struggle to find clothing for this size. Good on you. Well, you know, if you look at the uh, the clothing world with FUBU, with Damon John did, you know, he resized his things all differently. So larges were actually, because it was all sort of street clothes, they, they, and a large was actually um, like a, a medium or something. So they'd actually, um, no, it would be like an extra large. So everything was sized up so they'd feel like bit baggier and stuff. But when you go to the average store, it is, you know, as soon as you get past a certain size, you know, I'm six foot three and hundred and something kgs. I know what that's like, so I'm sure. So where did the idea come from? Like, where, did, where was the genesis of this? Obviously, you're doing your netball, you're doing your rugby. I'm sure you've got to have, you know, dart, competitive darts tonight. Where did the rest of it come from? Um, so my parents own a gym here in Tukuro, Um And I've started, I've been working here for three years now, just part-time because I'm still in school. And um, I, I just love helping people, supporting them, just giving them big ups so that they can keep on going. And I found that most of our big people here, that are, they struggle to find clothing for their active wear. So I just, mm. you know, I've been working on it for two years now. And finally this year, early this year, I dropped it. So, and it's just gone, gone off from here. And everyone loves it. I have so much messages from people, especially because of the sizing. Um, I found that most, Active wear people or brands um, only cater for smaller sizes, and even their photos on social media only portray skinny, skinny women. But yeah, so I thought, yeah, this is what I wanted to do, so I did it. Good on you. That's awesome, and I know exactly how you feel. When I go past the Lululemon store and they're showing the stuff, you know. I, I, some of the, the 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 slim fit pants aren't really meant for like Maori thighs. I'll tell you that much. So I I, <laughs> I I appreciate that and I respect that. So let's talk through the business itself. You design it. Where is it manufactured? How are you selling it? Like, give me the mechanics behind um, the platform with how this is actually operating commercially. Um, oh, that's a tricky one. So I did design it myself. Um, my little symbol. So it's just platform, but my symbol has a, um, like a P, and then like it has this little J, which represents myself. But I designed that myself. I got one of our local um, labelers to do that for me. So shout out to Savannah Whiteman. Um, my manufacturer is also local. I'm all about supporting local, and that's Wayne Ryder from Impact Photographics in Tokoro as well. Um, I do. I am still trying to find manufacturers for student clothing like tights and sports bras, but yeah, I'll get there eventually. Good on you. And then the uh, let's talk about how do you sell these things? Do you run a Shopify store with some technical backend that plugs into Squarespace for website design? Like, what's the mechanics on how you're currently selling this? Because a lot of people, you know, I guess um, e-commerce is new to them. How are you doing it? Yeah. So again, I'm still working on a website and selling through that Shopify but at the moment so I've, I dropped my second drop on Thursday 
Um, and I just do that through social media platforms. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook at the moment, but I'm hoping to get it through to um, a website or, yeah, e-commerce on Facebook and Instagram. But, yeah, work in progress. I love it. And then so did you any, is this the first business you've ever started or did you know anything about business before or this is, this is your, your first run through? Um, so I've been a part of Young Enterprise for two years now. Um, last year um, I was a co-owner of Happy, Happy Toes. Um, that was to support mental health. So that's who I started learning about business. And that was through um, Young Enterprise. They were a big help. And then after that, I started a platter business, which is food. I'm currently still doing that. But since it's winter over here, it's pretty quiet. Um, but yeah, so two businesses I own. Let's go. So um, I've got to ask, you're, you're still at school. You've got three games of netball. You've got your rugby. You've got one of the catering businesses, and you've launched a uh, an active wear for you know bigger size crew that are rolling in the in the, in the X's. What is your tips yes. to staying balanced? How are you balancing oh. all this? Oh my god, I, I actually don't know myself. Um, I don't know. I'm always busy. Never, never, never have a break. But. I just stay positive. Um, I don't let bad things come, like, get to me. Um, always go in with a positive mindset, and you'll be fine. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. You're just you're sending it. I, I think it's absolutely great. So if people are wanting to uh, check out the platform they're looking to or they're listening, they're like, hey, I want some nice fitting stuff. I can't fit into this Lululemon business. I want to get me some, <laughs> some nice swag. Where can they go and what can they do? Um, so I'm on Instagram, um, Platform Sports Apparel, and the same on Facebook. There you go, Platform Sports Apparel. Well, I, I hope and I wish it go well. Good luck for the, um, we've got to ask, did you win the netball? Or what was it, like 3-0, th- you All just three clean games sweep? Won. All three oh, yeah. games we won. There you go. You are just dominating, aren't you? Just anything's in front of you, just <laughs> steamrolling it. I like it. Well, no doubt you're going to go to the rugby, score like 12 tries and then smash it. No doubt all the stuff's going to go awesome, but I, I really appreciate your time and stoked for um, for jumping in, Jay. It's awesome. Thank you. Mega. There you have it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is Jay Redden from the platform. If you don't know what a weapon is, not only is she a, a young buck, which is a young up-and-coming business um, superstar, is a weapon is basically a human that is getting out there and just getting it, is good at what they do and are sending it. And obviously, she is just full weapon beast mode. So well done to her. Uh, coming up after the break, I've got my business in a minute tip for you. And then it's learn, share, repeat with Auckland mayoral candidate Viv Beck. The time now is 12.27 in Aotearoa, New Zealand, 5.27 in San Francisco, And we'll be seeing you in a second. Live from San Francisco. And streaming now on Facebook Live. It's Rebet Live with how to turn your passion into profit. On Today FM. There we go. Business in a minute. 60 seconds to help you and your business get a little bit further. Today's going to be a little networking tip. A little networking. Everyone always has these tips and tricks and hey, this is how you can do it. It's like, hey, I believe... There's maybe other ways to approach it where you can build more genuine and authentic relationships. And how that starts is a very simple trick. And that trick is by, this is when most people introduce in business environments or whatever, they'll go, hi, what's your name? Bob. 
next question, the second question is always, every single time, 99% if you're in Auckland, definitely if you're in Auckland, is, what's your name? Bob, what do you do? They always ask that second question. The key to actual genuine relationships is you'd be surprised. Try and build relationships with the person, not the position. Don't figure out what they're into. Ask a different question. Oh, what, what keeps you busy? What, what do you do for fun? What brings you here today? Whatever. Just the more you can delay asking what someone does, the way better it is. And it's just a thing that um, I've noticed in relationships and like say in Wanaka, cruising around, you could have a lawyer, a builder and a bum snowboarder on the side. They can all sit around and everyone can just get to know the person. The person, not the position. The person, not the position. Because positions change. Titles are temporary. Figure out if someone's a good human first and then guaranteed over 3, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, that's what you keep the relationship with. Now, I understand you can talk a bit of shop, but I will tell you, I never do that. And the first thing that absolutely irks me is when people do it back to me. So stop asking people what they do in those commercial environments when you're just trying to network. That's not networking. You're trying to figure out where they sit in the totem pole to figure out what type of position they are. Just figure out if they're a good human or not. It's pretty simple. What keeps you busy? What are you into? What, what gets you stoked? What do you get up to? All the rest of it. It's a little networking tip, but so many people play the transactional game, not the relationship game. And that is how to get more out of your business. Speaking of business, it's time for Learn, Share, Repeat. I love that I have my own show and I can just choose instrumental tracks that just are bangers. And there's one here. Uh, no role models by Bro J. Cole. Uh, Learn, Share, Repeat is a simple part of the show where we talk to people smarter than myself and we ask them, what are they listening to? What are they reading? Where are they learning? What are they consuming? Where are they getting the info which is making them smarter in life? Where they're getting more educated with different bits and pieces. And we're very uh, lucky right now to be joined today by Viv Beck, the Heart of the City CE and Auckland mayoral candidate. Kia ora Viv, how are you? Kia ora, very well thank you. Rock and roll. Uh, you've got a great start, you've got the same name as my mother and I love her very much so you must be awesome too. How's your Saturday going? Oh that's nice to hear. <laughs> <laughs> how was your Saturday? Oh it's great thank you and nice to have the opportunity to talk to you today. There we go. Okay so before we crack into it with what you've been learning from I've got to ask you, I'll, I'll ask a simple question. Uh, why on earth would you want to uh, venture into local government, politics, big jump? Why? Oh, look, it's a great question. A lot of people ask me that. But I, I guess there's a few things that have tipped me over into this. Um, we've got a beautiful city, uh, but there are some buts. And I think we need to deal with the buts. Things like transport, things like crime, infrastructure. We've just got to deal with some of these things that just are going round and round at times. And that, and that will enable us to really capitalise on this great city and, and, and take it where I think people want it to go. So you're also the chief executive of Heart of the City. You've been obviously having many conversations all, all throughout it. What is one of the biggest you know, insights or thread throughs from your existing role that you think would potentially transfer across that will give you, I guess, a bit of a different perspective than others? pretty close range look at both Auckland Council, how it engages with Aucklanders and how it interacts with Wellington. And I think there's a lot of opportunity in each of those areas to really make some significant change in a positive way. So I think having that lens for the last seven years is going to be important in terms of transitioning to a role like that. 
have you always uh, for how long have you thought about making this move? Because obviously, you know, big jump up going into to try and take on you know New Zealand's sort of biggest city. What was the tipping point that made you want to try and take a crack at, at the big shot? Well, it's interesting. People have asked me for quite some time, and it wasn't something I was thinking about. I was very happy doing what I was doing, uh, but simplistically, there were three things that tipped me over. One was uh, a project that we had in the city centre that was really challenging in terms of um, the interrelationship with council and, and getting a, a great outcome. And what happened through that time was I started being contacted by people across the city who were, in fact, across the region who were experiencing similar challenges. So that was sort of a starting point for me to think, hang on a minute, there's something not working right here. Uh, the second one was just how difficult it has been to get acknowledgement for the businesses affected by the City Rail Link construction. That has taken years to get their plight uh, acknowledged and to get uh, some financial support for them. And that issue is still not resolved satisfactorily. We have a lot of long-term, large-scale infrastructure ahead. And if we don't learn how to do this properly, uh, businesses and others across the region will be badly impacted. So that was the second one. And the third one was through COVID-19. I believe there were some things that could have been done differently to support particularly the business sector. I think people acknowledge that it was a major health crisis and that we needed to take that seriously, but I think there were some issues that could have been done differently that would have really supported the business sector. And, and as you know, businesses across our region and, and at the epicentre, the city centre, have been disproportionately impacted uh, by COVID-19. And I think that we have to learn from that and really support the business sector uh, through recovery. I don't want to get too much into it, but I'm interested. What would you have done differently as Mayor of Auckland through COVID for the, for, in terms of the businesses? Well, I would have stood up for them more, more visibly. Um, the reality is that we, we did not get a fair deal. Uh, and in the end, the business and sector groups had to come together to, to really say, look, we've got businesses here that are badly affected and we need a better deal for them. Uh, and I think, you know, I could talk. I could talk a number of things, but I think basically you need a mayor that will stand up for your people, championing their cause. You know, I would have been beating down the, the door constructively, but I would have been saying to both the officials and um, politicians in Wellington, we need to do things differently to support our business sector. And we, and we didn't see that strongly enough. There you go. Well, obviously, as mayoral candidate, you, you probably need to... I'm guessing you probably have to know a whole lot about a whole lot. So right now with Lynn Shearer, Pete, what are you, I guess, currently consuming? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Uh, what's on top of your mind with how you're learning at the moment? Well, one of the things that I think we need to be able to do is learn from other places because obviously the uh, coronavirus started elsewhere and there's a lot of things we can learn. So I'm particularly interested right now in some of the uh, literature and material coming out of London. Um, they've got a think tank that is focused on uh, solutions for critical challenges and really ensuring a fair and prosperous uh, global city going forward. So I think that's quite an interesting source for me as far as I'm concerned. We have got a lot of challenges here that we need to address uh, in a very uh, tangible way for people. And we've got to be able to make quite difficult choices and transition. And how we do that 
is going to be very important. And I've seen a number of examples where people acknowledge a need to change, but unless we take people with us and do things in a way that you can still function and survive as you make those changes, I think that's going to be really important. So I've been looking at things that are around um, agile and a flexible way to sort of experiment um, how you collaborate is going to be very important. That's something that I really feel has been missing here. It's coming now, but I remember saying in April 2020, we're going to need, actually to Auckland Council, we're going to need a very collaborative, uh, cohesive approach to this, both with central government, local government, private sector, and actually the not-for-profit sector as well, because there's been a number of significant social issues that have come through this time. So collaboration is going to be very important. The use of smart technology, green logistics. There's a lot of things that we can learn from other examples offshore. Hmm. With all the books you've read in the past, who's been the greatest, what's the greatest leader that you've ever read or come across? Um, Built to Last is probably the thing that I remember. Um, you know, from years ago, uh, just the nature of leadership. I've always been very interested in leadership, and I think that is one of the things that I'm interested in in this particular challenge. Leadership is going to be critical, leadership skills. And I think the way that describes the style of leadership, they can vary, but I think the effective style of leadership is is really important. Mm. What do you think leaders get wrong the most now in 2022 from obviously coming through COVID everyone's had to reset rebound readjust restart re everything what what are you biggest leadership mistakes you think is still currently going on uh thinking they know everything and telling everyone what to do I I don't think that's the way forward I think it's really important to have views and vision but you have to take people with you and I Mm. think it's particularly important in a mayor role you have to be able to unite people, both people across the city, the councillors to make hard decisions, and you have to be able to work with uh, central government and lots of different organisations. So leadership style is vital, and I think it's a mistake to think you know everything and you can tell people what to do. Uh, obviously, you've had a couple of books you've been reading, but in terms of podcasts, have you gotten to the podcast world at all, been like listening to, to different bits and pieces too? <laughs> well, the last one I listened to actually was a bit disappointing. It was about... Um, measuring the effectiveness of um, economic development initiatives, which I thought might be quite exciting because obviously that's uh, something we need to be doing right now is doing the right initiatives to kickstart recovery. And it was actually quite dry and academic and uh, reminded me how important it is to have a very practical focus to these things because uh, I suppose I learned a couple of things. You can always learn something, but it wasn't quite as much as I hoped. But I do like podcasts, but that one was a bit disappointing. That was the most recent one I listened to. Okay, so now we know what not to listen to. Uh, good, good, good. Um, best best leader you've ever seen being able to communicate with people, who would that be? Oh, great question. Um, I liked um, Obama, actually. Oh, yeah. I, I liked the way he was able to connect with people and um, communicate in a way that people could understand and and actually relate to. I think that's a really important thing. People have to be able to relate to you and, and trust you and believe in you. And, and I know, know not everybody would have, um, you know, believes and trusts in the same people. But I just liked his style of communication. Relatable. In the uh, in the in the startup world of things, startups move are seen as I guess the speedboats, and then you know government are probably seen or well, big corporations seen as, as as cruise ships. How would you describe the current way 
that either local and national governments sort of role? Like, like how do you, do you think they're speedboats? Do you think they're cruise ships and, and, and why? Oh, great question. I think what's happening at the moment is there's a disconnect between great innovative ideas and how you execute and deliver them. And that's an issue because you actually have to be able to deliver things. So I think the, the what I'm seeing locally is we do have some plans that actually are in line with what is happening internationally. We're just not good at delivering them. So um, unfortunately, that becomes very expensive and cumbersome if you can't deliver things. So it's great to have the vision, but you have to be able to implement it. And that's a problem right now. Mm. So as this uh, meal race sort of heats up, how are you staying balanced across the, I guess, your personal and professional life? Because it's about to go carnage and crazy. How what are you currently, uh, you know, how are you keeping the, the, the ship afloat? Well, it's not very balanced at the moment because um, I'm still working. But once I stop working to campaign full time, I'm certainly hoping to, to at least fit in a little bit of exercise and healthy things. Because I do realise it is pretty intense and it's going to be particularly intense. Um, I, I, I'm used to quite a high workload, but I do understand you need to balance it. It's a bit out of balance at the moment, but uh, that I'm, I'm, my aim is to uh, rebalance it slightly when I'm not working as well. There you go. Well, sometimes you got to rest. Sometimes you got to send it, and obviously you're you're in send it mode. Yeah. Um. Really appreciate your your time for joining us today, and best of luck for the race and all the different bits and pieces. And love to have you on again. So, um, thanks so much for joining us, Viv. Awesome. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Mega. All right. Awesome. Uh, that was Learn Share Repeat with Viv Beck, uh, Chief Executive of the Heart of the City, and also going to be one of the Auckland uh, mural candidates, which was super cool. Uh. You got to learn. You got to learn, know a lot when it comes to being a mayor. I'm sure you got to know about everything about infrastructure and schooling and education and and transportation and oh, just there's so many things to it. So uh, well done to anyone who's trying to get into into that space. Uh, coming up after the break, we have uh, today our time, my three cents. And if you've got a question that you'd like to ask me, we've got um, uh, ask Rebecca coming up as well. So you can actually text through any question you'd like me to ask three nine two zero or um, call through on zero eight hundred today FM. See you in a sec. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Such a good track. It's Today Our Time on Today FM. Rebet Live episode 310 and I'm joined by the bro, Karepi McDonald. How are you my friend? Oh, get the pie away. Get the pie here, quick. Get the pie, my friend. Get the pie. Uh, oh, I hope you've had an no awesome way, week. No Tell me about uh, what, what's out here at Wiki. Ah, the Kiwaha to Wiki, Tuhia Kitorai. So it's this Kiwaha is a little, it's little translation is pretty much write it on your forehead, Kapai. But its deeper meaning is committed to memory, don't forget it. Okay, you can use this in Whaikōrero, in Karanga, in inspiration speeches, and you, and with giving life lessons. You know, my father's life lesson, first life lesson to us was uh, to change a tyre, learn how to change a tyre. And after he taught us, it was always, Tuhia tēnei ki tō rai, tuhia ki tō rai. Never forget this. And, you know, even a mother saying, I love you, my baby, and whatnot, 
tuia ki torai. Remember that always. So, you know, hea koutou te tikanga when you want to use it. And it can be formal, it can be casual. Kea koutou e hikama. Uh, so, tuia ki torai. Tēnā koe e hoa. And before um, I get off the phone, just mihi aki ki a koe hoa mō tō hau huringa tau e te wiki nei. Ko pahuri aki. Just a happy birthday to you, brave, um, for the other day. I Ka appreciate pai. it, my friend. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, don't forget it. Tuia ki tō rai. Tuia ki tō rai. Tēnā koe e hoa. And no, I won't forget it. Ka pai. I'll catch you all next week. Kia ora. Kia my man. Karepe McDonald from Culture okay. Flow. Really appreciate being able to uh, jump on uh, with us and give us a quick kiwaha or te wiki or you know, quick little phrase of the week. So there you go. To here, ki torai. Don't forget it. So I, I didn't write that down. So I don't forget that. Don't forget it. Uh, really cool. If you've got a question you'd like to uh, ask me or you've got any feedback, uh, text me through on 3920. Alrighty, there we go. My three cents. Usually people have two cents. This week I've got three. Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Disneyland. So, I've spent the week in Disneyland, uh, down with the whanau, doing the thing, which has been super cool. And there's been a couple of things which I was really sticking out to me as, as I was there and I was learning and I was experiencing all. And, you know, uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, when I, I didn't grow up with any Disney characters and for the first 10 years, I thought it was absolutely waste of space and why would I want to pay, you know, a hundred and something dollars to stand in line all day to do some rides that I don't really get. Then you have children. The next, the next thing you know, you're there, you're trying to see Mickey and all the rest of it. And a couple of key things I was thinking about Disneyland was, one is the, tr- the pure imagination that a massive corporation has been able to do at scale to adults for you know a one-year-old a 10-year-old a hundred-year-old it generally didn't matter and you know we were lining up yesterday we were lining up to see raya right now i've got a three and four-year-old daughter we're waiting there to see her and full adults like 40 50 year old adults are there having a full conversation with the character for like seven minutes while my two children are waiting and they were so in the zone because their imagination was just captured or whatever the which brings into the second piece escapism so many of uh you know most of these people's young lives create these moments and it's this escapism to be able to dress however you want to be happy in the freest place on earth and so many times there's not many places that have that escapism you know when people have issues they know they can escape escape into you know um, bad things or alcohol you know other bits and pieces but when it's around happiness it's quite interesting to see an even flat playing field where everyone of all different shapes and sizes ages and colors from all over the world can be in one spot and they can escape to this moment of happiness for themselves which is pretty cool and not only that the moments that get created from this thing obviously last a lifetime and some people don't ever get to get there and they see that they see the they see the castle they see the fireworks they finally get to go so there's this massive you know i was thinking about imagination then i was thinking about escapism and then obviously being a bit on the business end i started thinking about um <laughs> the the tech and commercial side of things and i was really interested with how they started to deal with me i mean that they're, they're going through you know 100,000 people a day whatever it may be it's absolutely insane is the technology that they would be integrating into it for example you can just walk straight into a store pick up any different product scan it with your phone and walk out and basically pay for it without even talking to any seeing anyone it's about speed and efficiency and the movements that are within it um you download the app 
There's a technical layer which starts tracking where you go with what they say and they can start pinpointing where the hotspots of people are at what different times of the day. Using artificial intelligence, they can roll over and then be able to figure out where they need to be staffing up more, where's more traffic going at what, what different times with how they can put different features out. So the technical side is massively huge. Then once again, I started thinking on the commerce side <laughs> and I was started looking at how they were commercializing money within the money. So you pay money to get Disneyland, they got you. You pay money to get inside, they got you. Then after you're inside, you've got another option where instead of waiting in a line, you can then pay additional money per ride to go on a lightning lane. And the way that they have commercially figured out to upsell every single opportunity is amazing from a business standpoint. But what it made me think about was how they reverse engineered the workflow of a human's experience through such a massive logistical landmass. And they figured out how to give the best upside for more money and profit for the business. And I guess from a shareholder's perspective, that makes sense, which is weird because at the same time, they're then making even more money for the business. So I'm kind of like, okay, so I guess that is kind of good to work this workflows. But then the last thing I, I which I kind of took away from it was many people are creative, but they're not that good on commerce at all. Not that good. So one of the things I, thought was crazy is the storytelling that they do is about creativity but the commercial stuff that they do is one of the biggest companies in the world so anytime there's those struggling artists and creators out there i look at some of the best storytellers say someone like disney you can be simultaneously amazingly creative and insanely well done storytelling and be commercial so for me anytime you see the struggling artist i don't think that's just the case because it is possible to be fully creative and fully commercial and balance it out to do more so it was a fun week down i had a good time and that was my time at disneyland my three cents from disneyland time now is 12:54 in aotearoa new zealand 5:54 in san francisco coming up after the break is uh, ask rebet so if you've got a question you'd like to ask text it through on 3920 see you in a sec his goal to destroy the tall poppy syndrome his platform today fm this is rebet live call 0800 today fm here we go good little beat uh kicking off about to hit the top of the hour 1257 in aotearoa new zealand 557 here in san francisco and it is ask rebet time and i am joined by tt executive producer extraordinaire how are you bro give me something yeah good mate we've got a couple through here i'll crack into them eh uh, the first one comes from Jazzy, Hanoi, Vietnam. Jesus. Uh, how to find clients as a newbie coach? I'm assuming she means as a business coach? I'm, Im imagining so. The first place I would go to is a little website called www.linkedin.com. I'd make sure that your profile is clearly articulated and that you help businesses with whatever specific niche you do in the description. I would then be focusing a whole bunch of different content with specific things that you know that other people may not that gives them a bit more insight into how their uh, businesses or uh, selves could be better if it's personal development if it's managing money whatever the niche thing that you're doing um, I would be going on LinkedIn and creating specific content which shows your expertise to others so you can flex that intellectual property and that, that, that great IQ brain of yours to let people know that you um, do know what you're talking about and you can actually help. Then funnel it through to a simple website which they can check out um, and then doing some different bookings. You can even uh, automate booking stuff through a thing called Calendly. Um, this isn't sponsored or paid for by anyone else. You can actually just, just generally do that. Uh, and it's uh, free and you go from there. So I would be 
creating content on LinkedIn for bit other businesses that you want to get involved in. That's if you want to do it for free or if you want to spend, you can go to Facebook yeah. and bits and pieces. All right. Uh, and this one's from Natasha. You'll have to be, be quick here a bit. She says, how do you find a mentor who wants to see you succeed and who is not driven by ego? 30 seconds, Good. go. Question. Oh, I like how you're also simultaneously executive producing me as we're live on air because we've obviously got time constraints. I would. Uh, you need to not necessarily try before you buy it, but reach out to hold a bunch of different people and you need to think about the fit. Just because someone's smart, if the, you if the vibe isn't right, it's not going to work. So don't go where the energy isn't right, where they don't feel like they're caring towards you. They should be more focused on you and your success than anyone else's. So sample around, find the best energy, and that's where to go. That is what I do. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. There we have it. Hour number two on Rebet Live on Today FM, episode 310. Hope your Saturday's cruise along well. 103 in Aotearoa, New Zealand, 6.03 p.m. in San Francisco. And coming up in hour number two, my guest now is the CEO of Dawn Aerospace. His company has just been recognised as one of the best places to work in Aotearoa, New Zealand, which is super cool. And on top of that, they've been acknowledged as being one of the uh, a company of high growth and innovation. So pretty awesome. So I'm very stoked to be joined by Dawn Aerospace CEO, Stefan Powell. How are you, brother? Hey, good, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. For sure. I hope your Saturday's going well. What's keeping you busy today? Oh, today, today, well, dealing with my um, my daughter, actually, um, my day off, one day a week, I get, so, um, but yeah, actually, the, the Dutch office has just closed up, so, um, yeah, I've been reading a few reviews and stuff from them, but not too much, kind of trying to relax after a busy week. I get it, man, you, you're working hard, good to get the reset with the whānau time, which is good, so, uh, for those that aren't aware, you know, tell tell the, the, the viewers a little bit about Dawn Aerospace and uh what you guys actually do? Yeah, uh, Dawn Aerospace is a space transportation company. So we make things that go up to space and move around in space is our, our main two bits of business. Um, and we want to do that in a way that's really scalable and sustainable to sort of enable the next generation of, um, you know, what people are going to be doing in space. You know, there are rockets that go to space now. There are rockets on satellites that move satellites around in space. But all the current technology is kind of limiting. It's really expensive, and, and in lots of cases, it even is pretty toxic and, and quite nasty. So, you know, if, if you imagine the space economy going to a thousand times larger than what it is today, that would actually really start to have a huge impact on life down on Earth just because of the amount of toxic chemicals and nasty stuff we would have to do. So we're trying to envision the technology that's going to enable us to do, you know, that thousand X growth without, um, you know, ruining life on Earth. And, you know, once we get to that thousand X growth of space technology, just the, the amount of stuff that we'll be able to do is will just be incredible. You know, we already have things like space internet or internet from space um, with Starlink, but the there's, there's a whole bunch of new technologies just around the corner that require this, um, you know, things that kind of seem a little bit far out right now, like in space manufacturing or um, even tourism and um, space mining and, and things like that. Um, you know, we're working on what will essentially be the um, the infrastructure backbone of, of transportation to space and in space that will enable those things to happen. How do you wake up one day and decide you're going to do a space company? What? Give me that moment because it's obviously what you've just talked about 
I'm imagining most Kiwis don't really think about space mining and all this other crazy awesome stuff for the future. Where did this start? I, I, I wish it happened like that, but it really didn't. You know, I, I wasn't, um, I wouldn't even say I was a space nut or a space geek growing up. You know, I, I just really liked engineering and um, I was actually quite into just solving thinking about big problems and trying to solve them. I, I really liked energy technologies and, um, you know, green, sustainable um, energies. And so I actually just went and studied at a university that um, was pretty good at that sort of stuff because it interested me. Um, and then I just got to know people building rockets there. And um, that was also really interesting and, and cool. So I started getting good at that. And I kind of discovered these edge problems, you know, these nasty tix, uh, toxic chemicals that people were using to um, on their satellites, and I thought, well, that's a bit silly, you know. These rockets that we're building in this um, in the student club don't need nasty chemicals, you know. They're appropriate for students, and actually, they're pretty high performance too. So, hey, we can make this work for satellites, and and it's hey, well, you know, once you've got this better propellant, you know, maybe you actually want to be able to refuel these things eventually. And um, actually, we want to make this whole stuff, you know, everything reusable because this, you know, the satellite's only got one one um, tank of gas on it so hey we need to make that refuelable and but then I need to get propellant up to space as well so hey, I guess I kind of need a network and you know actually you, you kind of after years of thinking about these problems you realize hey you know um, actually I, I need a whole network and I, I, I need to do all of these steps to really enable that next generation of what we're doing in space so you know it's not an overnight thing it, it took us years to figure this stuff out and I'm, I'm sure in five years time I'll our ideas about how to solve it um, and exactly what the problem is um, will will evolve as well. It's awesome to see such, you know, obviously you've got the rocket labs of the world and, you know, everyone's having to go, Bezos having to go and Branson and everyone's trying to go for it. You know, you've just been named as, you know, one of the top 100 businesses with it, through um, the Matchstick uh, Top 100. So what does that mean for you to be nominated and, and I guess given, you know, such an awesome, to make such an awesome list? Oh, it, like it's really important um, growth and and getting good people and um, is is so key for our business. It's like you know, <laughs> good people is is what um, slows companies down. You know, if you can't get enough of them, um, you're kind of limited, right? Because um, people can only work so hard before they go insane, and and we don't want we don't want to push our our employees to do that. This is a really long term mission. You know, twenty years is. It's not a long time. SpaceX has been going 20 years already, and they're not on Mars yet, so they've probably got another 20 years at it before, you know, before they even really get close to anything like colonizing Mars. So, you know, um, we're only four or five years into this now, so um, we, we've got to play the long game, and that means getting great people in now who are going to stick around for a long time. Um, we needed we needed to have an epic culture. There's, you couldn't do this without um, putting people in, in the company first. Um, so I, I think just being on that list is kind of a reflection of our concerted effort to, mm. you know, just be a good company, be a great place to work. Um, yeah, so it's super nice to have that brought to the forefront. It's it's super cool. So one of the things I was going to ask you is, you know, you talk about culture a couple of times. What's one of the biggest things you've tried to integrate in to help scale that culture of, I guess, care within the business as you've grown and as things start escalating and getting bigger and bigger, because that's obviously a huge part of it. How do you do that? Um, it's it's giving people a lot of autonomy to um, 
make decisions for themselves. You know, we, we trust in our employees a lot to exercise good judgment about what's okay. You know, we have some, um, you know, uh, some rules about what we can and can't do, but um, they're, they're pretty basic, um, pretty pretty centered around just respect for one another. And other than that, you know, um, people can run their work day how they want, you know, whether they, if they think they can work remotely, that's fine. They can work remotely if they um, need to take a week off, but they don't have leave, but they really need to take a week off. Well, that's probably fine too. You know, like that's, um, it's, it's a lot of give and take. Um, sometimes we ask a lot of our employees if things are going wrong and we really need to find a solution on the weekend. You know, we don't force people, but I think people know that like, if they can, they'll stay and they'll solve the problem. But then on the other side of it, they also know that, you know, it's, it's going to come back to them and they'll, um, they'll take time when they need it um, as well. So, yeah. So one of the things you said, uh, Stefan, before was talking about, you know, life on Mars. What, if you were to throw a number at a dartboard, what year do you think humans will occupy Mars? Our lifetime? Oh, next lifetime? Give me a year. Occupy uh, first people on Mars. Um it, it could very well be in the next five years, which is not Ooh. a long time. Yeah. Really? It's like first people, first landing, first landing. Yeah, I, I mean, if SpaceX really keeps going as fast as they are, um, totally now possible. Do, do these people come back to Earth, or is this a one-way tri- one-way ticket? Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to speculate on that. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> um, um, I'd like to think they're planning on coming back because I think one. One thing that is very obvious is that Earth is definitely the best place in our solar system to live. <laughs> so um, Mars will be interesting, but um, it's not exactly a holiday. Um, that that place is pretty nasty compared to how nice Earth is. No, no lattes and Ponsonby up there. Is that what you're trying to say there, Stefan? No, no lattes. Nah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no beaches. No, oh, plenty of mountains. You like hiking? It's good for that. But you know, not a lot of oxygen in the atmosphere. So that it's hard to walk up those hills. I yeah, get that. exactly. Humans hey, love oxygen. You talk about, um, you know, you described you talking about sustainable space travel. So, and I guess space tourism bits and pieces. So, what is sustainable space travel? Well, I mean, what do you what do you think about sustainability in, in any context? It's it's something that you can keep doing, you know, for at least the next hundred years without any sort of conceivable like, oh well, that's not going to work. Like, um, you know, if we just keep dumping carbon into the atmosphere um, for the next hundred years the way we are, I think we can all agree that's probably not going to work. If we keep um, chucking heaps of crap in the ocean. Um, you can probably agree that's probably not going to work eventually. But, you know, these things are pretty standard right now, and we, we get away with it, especially in space, because, it's frankly, it's a niche industry. It's pretty small. It's not it's not a big enough problem to be a global problem. But, um, you know, if we want to scale it up a thousand times, um, we have to find ways to use, um, you know, sustainable fuels, you know, fuels that are um, essentially carbon zero or... Um, ways to get to space that don't require us chucking heaps of stuff in the ocean. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty basic stuff, really. Mm. Well, 
you'd say basic but for those that understand even talking about space travel might just be you know flipping their lid off so you know if everything goes perfectly you're thinking about the absolutely perfect future for the legacy of dawn aerospace what will that look like do you think in 10 20 30 years and and for your lifetime yeah well both in my lifetime um I, i hope we and to be honest i'm not even that concerned if it's not dawn that's the company that figures it out i think this is really just I really hope somebody figures it out. Some company, you know, SpaceX is, is working on full reusability. The the holy grail is is fully reusable transportation to space um, with a system that's about as reliable as a current aircraft. So if you can do that, then you're you're starting to get close to um, space travel and the way that we think about air travel now, where you know you can you can roll up to an airport and you can jump in a plane and you can fly somewhere. Um, and there's no reason to believe that we couldn't do that in an entirely sustainable way with the with the concept that Dawn's building. You know, it, it really is an aircraft in, in most ways. The the stepping stone we're building on now is not 100% reusable. It's about 95% reusable. The second stage would still be expendable. But that's just a stepping stone to, to full reusability. And once we get there, you know, it's it's very aircraft-like. Um, mm. So that's, that's the Earth to space bit. Um, but then there's you know, transport in space is, is a whole nother um, kettle of fish. And I hope within my lifetime there's um, transportation networks that, uh, you know, connect Earth to Mars to um, some other interesting bits in the solar system. There's some, some pretty interesting moons and stuff out there too that, um, people, you know, don't, don't get a lot of airtime, but um, could well be interesting for other reasons. Um, well, you- so if, if we have good space transportation in general you know we can get from earth into space we can then get out to the moon we can do a whole bunch of cool stuff in space i hope i hope we get there now you were talking about you know up to 95 percent um you know being able to be reusable but some obviously sustainability is big there you know airplane travel obviously uh known to be pretty bad for the environment with some of the cases is some of the technology that you're building now able to get brought across back into airplane world to make it you know a bit more compatible and sustainable that way is like you know ip be able to come back down and help others yeah so so there's a bit of an interesting nuance there like um 99 of the carbon footprint of a rocket is not in the fuel it uses it's in the fact that the hardware doesn't get used heaps of times it's like Mm. like you know if you if you trashed your hybrid or electric car every time you drove it, you know you only charged it up once and then you threw the car away. Would you talking? Would you be talking about the carbon footprint of charging the battery or putting gas in the tank, or would you be talking about the carbon footprint of making the thing? Obviously, mm. the you know making the thing is the is the real um, the real big fish there. So rockets are still that bad that you know the majority of the carbon is not in the fuel you're burning, but in the actual making it. So the reusability bit is about reducing that problem. Um, rockets use mostly the same sorts of fuels as aircraft do. So that problem is kind of the same, and it exists for rockets as well. So what we really need to do is get to, um, you know, the, air, the aircraft industry calls it um, sustainable aircraft fuels, or SAF, they call it, which is an entirely solvable problem. You know, there's aircraft that already fly on SAF. It's a, it's a, it's an economic problem. You can grow, um, like, um, it, basically, it's like canola oil that they make out of rapeseed, um, which is it's totally carbon neutral. There's ways of making carbon neutral um, oils that you can fly aircraft on, 
and you can do exactly the same thing for for rockets. So there's no reason to believe that we couldn't have an, an entirely reusable uh, rocket or space plane flying on sustainable aviation fuels, which is a, a carbon neutral thing. And then we're you know we're really properly sustainable, um, and and aircraft can do exactly the same thing. We don't need true. some sort of you know crazy new technology there. We don't need hydrogen fueled car, uh, hydrogen fueled planes, or electric planes, or um, we can actually do it with pretty much the same technology. It's just all about making the fuel in a different way. Instead of sucking mm. it out of the ground, you um, grow it from plants. Always awesome talking to you, man. I'm very excited to a congratulations for making the top stick 100, uh, the matchstick 100. Sorry, and then uh, also this future that you're talking about is pretty positive a lot better and i'm wishing you the absolute best of luck uh stefan as you take on uh this massive new frontier with what you're doing it's it's absolutely incredible so good on you man well done yeah thanks for the chat robert awesome have a good one there's dawn's aerospace's ceo stefan powell weapon doing great stuff in the uh in space unreal after the break it's tall poppy profile and today's guest is helping innovate the way we help businesses succeed through a whole bunch of technology and good stuff it's 119 in aotearoa new zealand 619 in san francisco mentor sherpa counselor nah just a clever guy doing cool shit it's rebet live on today fm Hands go up for the tall poppy profile. We just like to see people win. Always believe that New Zealand wins when New Zealanders win. And it's great to be able to profile Kiwis doing good things. And very uh, stoked to be joined by uh, the one and only Alex Mickle from Hype and Dexter. Uh, we want to celebrate Kiwis going to do good stuff. And they're a company that helps transform businesses in creative ways. So Alex, welcome to the show. Kia ora. Kia ora, Robert. Good to connect, man. A-okay. How is the Saturday rolling? Where are you and what's bubbling? Oh, just at home in Devonport doing some, you know, life admin, bit of tidying up, all of that. Life admin, I love it. Uh, so in about, you know, 30 seconds or a minute, give us a quick little top line. What is Hype and Dexter and what does it do? Okay, so we uh, we bill ourselves as a digital transformation agency. Um, and we like to say we, we bring a human approach to digital transformation because Technology is technology, but without people buying into it and feeling empowered and enabled by it, um, it will fail. It won't get used. It won't. It won't be, you know, uh, kept up to date, evolved, and fully, fully realised for for the potential that it offers a business. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm hanging out in Gore, and I'm at, at the at the pie shop. What is digital yep. transformation? Yeah, good question. <laughs> um, so, really, it's about. I mean. In layman's terms, it's about getting into the cloud. It's about getting um, manual, um, physical processes and administration into software, automated where possible. Um, a lot of people have heard of marketing automation. We're now seeing that's, that's pretty mature in the market now, um, at least at the sort of high end of SME and, and enterprise levels. We're now seeing automation of customer service functions, um, sales services, um, you know, chat functionality, all these kinds of things. So we're really interested in marketing automation, what we call CRM, which is customer relationship management software, um, and customer service, and, and any, anything really that can enhance a the way a business serves its customers, really. Now, through 
COVID, a whole bunch of analog businesses were forced into this digital world. They had to understand and they had to Google what cloud meant. They didn't realize that data could sit not in a hard drive in the, in the, in the back office next to the broken down kitchen kettle. So what is the biggest shift you've seen, say, um, in the last two years when it comes to business owners and small businesses thinking about cloud solutions, thinking about the way digital works? What's the biggest shift you've seen? Yeah, well, um, you, you basically just said it, Robert. It's, it was COVID. Um, I mean, we, we were trucking along nicely. Um, and I remember going into that first lockdown, suddenly everyone got a little bit nervous and some pretty big projects that we're about to be involved with got put on indefinite hiatus. But um, I think a few months post that, when people realized, actually, this is, this is something we need to do. COVID's probably not going to be sorted out for a couple of years. Um, we really accelerated um, fr from there. And we saw like people really realizing, because they were forced to, the benefit of getting you know data into the cloud, customer information into the cloud, some systems and processes, the admin, um, into software and out of the physical world. And of course, we were you know all doing video calls and, and, all, the, uh, and all the rest as well. So it was the only way to connect human to human. So mm -hmm. it, it kind of forced people's hands so the uh, you know the processes of um, trying to figure out what can go get automated, what can get digitized, whatever. If if you're listening to this right now and you're on a small Kiwi business and you're thinking about this world of digital, whatever, just walk me through the, a little bit of the process from trying to get a company that's currently analog into digital. Like, should they think of it in phases? How should they think about the process of working through what can and can't be automated and digitized? And I guess what are their first steps that people should think about? Yeah, great question. Um, so Romy Dexter, who um, is is my business partner and, and one of the co-founders, she she has a little bit of a rule um, whereby if you find yourself doing the same process three times manually, it can probably be automated. Like if it's a repeatable process that right now a human is doing in your business, it can probably be automated. Um, but beyond that, it's it's some for some businesses it's really simple things like if someone fills out a form on your website and that triggers an email to, to you, the business owner in your inbox, but you're, you know, you're busy and you've got, you know, thousand other emails on top of it. No one's getting back to them for two, three, four, five days. Um, we can automate a response based on the nature of the inquiry from that consumer, maybe give them, you know, um, a bit of a heads up that we're really busy right now, but we will get back to them, maybe link them to some useful content or resources that will actually answer the question that they've, they've asked for that form. So just like in the most simple terms, it could be something like that. That, that, is, that is automation of, of the customer service and, and of marketing. Um, when it comes to sales, it might be you've got leads coming in about um, different products that you offer or maybe um, different regions that you serve. Just automating distribution of those leads and the tasks for the people who need to follow up and qualify the lead or, you know, do the follow up email, the follow up call, things like that. So just really basic business processes that a lot of businesses, if they're not on top of them, they're, they're losing they're losing customers because, you know, we, we all know the business that responds first tends to win the work. Mm. And it's probably as well not thinking about that you've been uh, inefficient or slack by putting automation and you're actually creating more time for yourself and 
but automating these things, you know, they say 97% of New Zealand businesses are small businesses with staff under 20. I'm sure, as you're saying, there's probably a lot of things which they're doing three times, which they can actually get automated to not even think about, which is going to buy them more time to actually, you know, have a more profitable business and stuff, which is which is pretty cool. So if people want to check out um, what, you know, a little bit more about what you're up to or some different bits and pieces, where should they go to? What should they do? Yeah, so um, you can come to hypendexter.com or hypendexter.nz. Um, we also do a lot in the space with a software called HubSpot. So there are there are HubSpot user groups um, in Auckland, but they're they're online. So anyone from around Aotearoa can can join us online. Um, you find those um, on uh, Splash events, um, and we and we talk about not just about HubSpot the software, but about the implications of you know. Uh, automating customer service so that you can you can give a, a top-notch customer experience and, and things like that. Um, and when it comes to automation, it's a bit of a scary word and a scary concept. Like people think, oh, I'm, am I going to be automated out of a job if my job is the admin job? Um, but you kind of hit the nail on the head, Robert. It's it's about freeing up your time and allowing you to deploy your skills elsewhere where they can drive a better outcome for the business, not in, you know, repeated administrative tasks that no one really enjoys doing if they're honest about it i get it man well alex really appreciate your time on the saturday i hope the rest of it goes good and thanks for um stopping in and props to you it's a little tall poppy profile for you and the team at a hyper dexter awesome pleasure thanks for having me along Appreciate it. All right. Uh, that was Alex McCrill from Hype and Dexter. Uh, very cool automation, business, marketing. Check him out. Uh, and also think about your business too with what are the different workflows that you're doing? Alex is talking about, uh, you know, what are you doing three different times that could potentially get automated? Those are things to look into. Uh, coming up after the break, Reserve Bank Chief Economist, Mr. Paul Conway. Rebet Live. Live from Silicon Valley. The hub of the tech universe. With tips on unleashing your entrepreneurial potential. On Today FM. I hope the day has been cruising along good for you. It's 1.31 in Aotearoa, New Zealand, 6.31 in San Francisco. Friday night, apple juice is flowing. And we are stoked to have one of the weekly guests on the show, Mr. Paul Conway, who is the Chief Economist of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. Kia ora, my friend. Kia ora, Rebet. Nice to be here. A-OK. All right, week two. Let's get into it. How is the Reserve Bank going? How are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> oh great, thanks. Yeah, I've had a good uh, couple of weeks. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pig in mud for a bit. That's how it feels to me. Um, I can't I can't actually talk too much about where the economy's at uh, at the moment because the Reserve Bank we're just heading into what's called forecast week where we're making uh, decisions on what's going to happen with interest rates uh, and the like uh, going forward. And you know, if I was to accidentally let the cat out of the bag, that would be quite bad for me. So um, yep. we can't talk about that. So you know, and and. Monetary policy, it's sort of about the business cycle, controlling the business cycle uh, to keep inflation in its box. Um, so that's off topic for the next week or two. So let's talk about something else. And actually, Rebecca, just the last couple of people you've had on uh, talking about innovation. Yes. Uh, you know, it's been really interesting. So let's, uh, let's chat innovation if you're into that. Yep, very into it. And I, I do like that. I, as the Chief Economist of the Reserve Bank, I'm sure you need to be very careful about what you say publicly at all times, especially when we're live. So we're more than well respectful around to navigate that. So, you know, HR and legal doesn't go on. Next thing you know, we're just getting our asses handed to us for saying something that we maybe shouldn't have. So I, I, I totally I totally agree. Let's not crash the economy or make it do whatever else. Let's let's, let's, yeah, let's play it easy. Move markets so, on a Saturday afternoon. That would be, bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like, be like, yeah, man, living Conway said something about the something and oh man, what's going on here? Um, all right, but yes, we're 
we're talking about digital transformation for and innovation. So maybe we'll start on the simplest yeah. point. You live in the world of of money and markets and digital and there's cash and there's all sorts of stuff. So in terms of the world innovation with the finance things or whatever it is, what does innovation uh, kind of mean for you or how, when you think about it in your world? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think like you've, you've had the last two guests that you've had on, uh, I think a lot of people think of innovation as sort of a life-changing or a world-changing idea, sort of, you know, like plumbing or inventing the wheel or, you know, mining asteroids in space, which was the Dawn Aerospace example. And yes, you know, there are some firms out there globally and in New Zealand uh, that do push out that sort of global technological frontier. So that is their job to do these sort of world-changing uh, innovations and, you know, that skills intensive and they own lots of patents uh, and, and the like. Um, but, you know, there's not many firms that are genu- genuinely in that space. And instead, for many businesses, which is sort of more about what uh, the last guy was talking about, you know, innovation, it's about sort of small bite-sized steps uh, in the right direction. So it's sort of about making things better at the margin. You know, it may not be a genuinely new idea, uh, you know, it's a, sort of more about adapting and adopting new and better ways of working, of doing business that have been developed uh, elsewhere. And, you know, that in that way, sort of regular Kiwi businesses can sort of catch up towards uh, that technological frontier. I'm just, just while I'm sort of chatting, Rebecca, like there's another misconception about uh, innovation in New Zealand that, that kind of bugs me a bit. And that's sort of that idea of the, the number eight fencing wire. Thing. You know, the idea that you can go and wrap some wire around something and pretend you're innovating, that's yeah, kind of not exactly right. You know, innovation is much harder than that. And, you know, we sort of need to realise that and give it the uh, the, the attention uh, and the resourcing that it deserves. You know, that's how we improve our economic performance over the long term. Well, when it comes to most of these companies, they if it's scary to think about, you know, these transformations and going into the cloud and this, this innovation world, a lot of them think of, you know, we've talked about before, of this innovation being the end point. After we get there, that will be innovation. And the, yeah. the, the reality is it's innovating. Like, what are we, these, these things you're talking about, Paul? What are these small pieces that you put together? And so it goes, you know, it snowballs one into the other. So you're, you're innovating as, a, as an act, as a verb, instead of a, 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 almost like a destination, right? So it changes yeah. the mindset of thinking about destination to journey in a way. And I think that's probably yeah. a smarter way that most businesses need to think about it um, or else Absolutely. it can bite-sized chunks with it, you know. So if you're a Kiwi business now and you're thinking about this world of innovation or innovating, like how do you think the mindset shift needs to potentially go to change the dial up with how they approach this world of innovation or innovating? Uh, well, I think you're, you're, you're talking about it, you know, like uh, think about it as business as usual. Like it really needs to be part of the DNA of an organisation. And, and I say that because, you know, the world is radically changing uh, at the moment. People's preferences are changing. Uh, their spending habits are changing. There's you know, new technology coming at us uh, from all over the place. That's all changing. Uh, so having that sort of innovative mindset is going to be crucial in sort of bringing that all together and, you know, innovating through these changes. It's sort of about, you know, how do we sort of roll with the punches and sort of get better uh, as a business in that process? Uh, you know, it's not it's not quite innovate or die, um, but I think there are firms in some parts of our economy where, you know, it's, it's they've got to really change. Uh, their business model from sort of what they were doing pre-COVID. And if they don't, you know, there's a risk for some firms at least and some parts of the economy that they sort of become zombies 
uh, that are a bit out of place uh, in the in the in the sort of new uh, economic environment we're moving into. I think you know there's a few sort of practical things that businesses can can do, and I like the last guy. You know that idea if you're doing something three times manually, you should look to automate it. Uh, you know, more generally, sort of look at successful businesses uh, in your industry and more widely uh, across the country and the world. You know, what are they doing uh, to lift that game and, and get better uh, at what they're doing and what can you learn from that? You know, as, as you said in the last segment, Rebecca, uh, many of our most New Zealand businesses are small. We're sort of a nation of small businesses. Um, and it's unrealistic to think of those firms as sort of having an R&D lab in, in the basement. Um, and, you know, innovation, it's more broad than just R&D. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I think a, a kind of another aspect of innovation that we could improve in New Zealand is this idea of collaboration of mm. firms sort of coming together to work uh, collectively on aspects of innovation for the benefit of sort of the cluster uh, of businesses and also I think you know links between research institutions the universities and businesses could always be better you know we've got Callahan Innovation uh, working in that space there's many onto it people uh, out there thinking about these things and I think you know we can probably um, uh, just get a bit better at embracing uh, technology and responding to markets by, by working together I think you know there's been a big focus on competition uh, in New Zealand and you know there's a lot of wisdom uh, in that I've just been out watching under 15 uh, football for my morning uh, and competition brings the best out of out of kids but I think we've sort of undercooked that collaborative uh, aspect of building a stronger economy here in Aotearoa so in Kiwi businesses helping each other out uh, for mutual benefit, I think is important in this innovation conversation as well. That's such a, a, a tricky one when you talk about uh, the uh, collaboration and competition side of things, because when so much of these businesses, they're not local businesses, they actually exist in a, a global context. So much of things that exist locally can go global. And then when they always, it feels that many New Zealand small businesses look at the neighbour as the enemy instead of realising that it's New Zealand to the world, the things we can learn from each other to the world. And then when they talk about collaboration, it's this I like this word called co-opetition. Like we're in the same bucket on the same team and we're going to push it together. And like my my A is going to bring your A game and that's going to push us forward together. And there's nothing wrong with um, trying to en- engage more, but it's really weird and kind of a little sad sometimes when you see local people fighting local when it's actually a global game because the headspace yeah. needs to shift to really understand that, you know, and you've been fortunate enough to travel around, you've seen the world, you've seen scale and you've seen perspective there's way more upside by working with your neighbor than trying to fight them because everyone's in their own small battle, right? It's like, go have a beer, calm it down and do some woosah, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I think, you know, a lot of Kiwi businesses have just been traditionally focused on that local market. So, you know, they're kind of a bit bit weary of of the neighboring business that pretty much does the same thing. Uh, But, you know, digital technology is changing all that. We're kind of more outward looking, potentially at least, in this economy than, than we used to be. And I think when you are you know, standing shoulder to shoulder, looking out to the world, you're in a stronger position yeah. uh, than if you're not. It's actually quite normal in sort of um, North American economies and some of the European economies for groups of businesses to think like a cluster. They have, you know, they're quite formal sort of cluster boards and, you know, they sort of formalise working together, um, you know, for really good results. So, you know, it, it, it helps small businesses to get what economists call the benefits of scale, 
Um, so even if it's, you know, sort of collectively buying um, packaging material or collectively doing deals on, on freight, you know, that sort of thing, to, to more, uh, you know, how do we crack a particular problem through innovation? I think, you know, the, the kind of wisdom of, of the crowd uh, in, in that space is, uh, is really important and sort of getting away from that idea you know, that firms just exist as sort of individual entities, kind of like atoms in a, in a jar or something, you know, and, and, and trying to get a bit more cohesive about it, I think would be would be awesome in the innovation space. And, and getting the research institutions into it. And, you know, it's changing. Like, we are making progress in all of those spaces. You know, that Dawn Aerospace, amazing what those guys are up to. It's, um, you know, it's cool. So, yeah, it's good. It's, it's, it's fun. I think, you know, COVID, as you were saying in the last interview, has really just pushed things along. And I think this innovation conversation is, is one part of that. Yeah. And the next part of obviously, you know, being able to hold hands with the neighbour to do things collectively. And then the power of the power of many can always uh, eventually bring some pretty good commercial results as well. Well, um, really yeah. appreciate your time again, Mr. Conway. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. And I'll be catching up That's with you better. soon for sure. Good, good stuff, Rebecca. Catch you, mate. Thanks. My man, Mr. Paul Conway, Chief Economist of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. Very fortunate enough to have him come on the show every week, giving us some insights. Obviously, this is stuff bubbling we'll be hearing about um, soon in the future, but uh, great to get validated doubling and tripling down on the world of innovation, the concept of innovating and doing more. Coming up after break, it is Mr. Bruce Pilbrow. Banter with Bruce. It is 141 in Aotearoa, New Zealand, 641 in San Francisco. Today, FM. His goal. To destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. There we go. 145 in Aotearoa, New Zealand, 645 in San Francisco. Today FM, Rebet Live, episode 310. It's the time of the week where we catch up with Mr. Bruce Pilborough. Very smart man indeed and a good friend. He's the CEO of Spirit of Adventure. And joins me each week to share a nugget or two. A bit of wisdom. Sometimes just have a vent about things. Welcome to the show, Bruce. How are you, brother? I'm good. How are you? Please don't tell me you're still painting or doing something manual labour at your Fano's house. No, I'm doing something with I'm doing something with my brain today. I re, uh, remember when we met down in Queenstown, Hedy uh, Elder was there. Yes. So I'm reading some of her research on traumatic brain injuries uh, and the effect within Maori people. Yeah. Oh. How, how... <laughs> That's a deep one. <laughs> That's so I'm a doing one. a psychology. I'm doing some psychology papers. So, um, so uh, that's what I'm working on. It's. I tell you what. It's opened my eyes. Absolutely opened my eyes to how westernised and Eurocentric we are in our uh, medical approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's been a good, good learning day. Good learning day. What a very interesting uh, paper because you know I was I'm Maori and my dad. When I was 11 when my dad had a double brain hemorrhage and stroke. So I am more than well aware of oh. the, how things can be potentially different. So I'm with you on that. So it's good that you do yeah. learning, getting some stuff going, and, and you're back at school learning too, which is good. Good on you. Yeah, yeah. Keep my brain going, mate. It's very important. Keeps you young, doesn't it? Yep, yep. Um, so uh, this week, what have you been thinking about, and what would what's on your mind this week, Mr. Pilbara? Well, well, I had a chat to you during the week, didn't we? And we sort of um, we sort of thought, what could we teach our young people, our kids in particular, about about money, about the mullah, about the cash? Mm. And um, and I sort of been thinking about that. And um, and there's a, there's a I remember reading about a movement and in, in, that came through England initially. It was called effective altruism. And what it is is that you know how do we teach people to be altruistic, but to be effective with it as well? So how do you you know how do you give give to something but obviously look for measurable outcomes and that's kind of why i work in for the spirit right um 
But I was thinking about it with our kids, right? So how old are your kids? I know you're very private three about and, them, but three and four, two daughters. So that yeah, and they're girls too, aren't they? So they're probably you paying them what two, three hundred dollars pocket money a week, are you? Are they at that stage yet? <laughs> Not uh, they. I will not lie. They they try to do chores and get paid for it, and then they they've started to. They've got piggy banks. They've started. They've they've started the financial journey, and they've realised that when they do work, they get money. They don't know the difference between a hundred and a one yet, which is good. So they've got a few ones. Which is good. They've they've begun. <laughs> it has begun. And I've noticed it. I noticed it when you pay for teeth now. You know, for the theory that you know, my day it was like one cent, and I think it's like a couple of bucks or three bucks. So inflation's certainly taken hold when it comes to our kids. Um, but, you know, I think some of the things we should be teaching our young people, and I, and, uh, I, I noticed in America they do this really well, actually. Um, in New Zealand, I think we need to be challenged. But, you know, how do you, if you gave your child a, a dollar, you know, how could they save a little, um, spend a little, and give a little? You know, the, the, if you just sort of started teaching them those three principles, like it's important to save, um, it's important to spend a little, you know, spoil yourself, but it's also important to give. Mm. Um, and I'm not talking about tithing or any of the other complexities that come with religion. I'm talking about the sense of looking outside from your world and potentially looking around at others that may may not be as fortunate as you um, and that you could you know potentially give a helping hand to. So for example, we know we know from a social perspective that if a young person has a cause greater than themselves or something worth dying for, then their mental health is actually on the improve within, you know, improves because they are altruistic, they're outward looking and not inward looking and therefore um, it helps with things like depression and anxiety and um, other sort of mental health challenges. So I think teaching kids to give at a young age um, but also to spend and save is a really important lesson. What do you think about that for you? Well, I've, I've <laughs> never my, actually... my kids all grown up. Yeah, no, I haven't thought about it in buckets before. Like I've heard of buckets of your energy with mm. family, friends and work, but I've never heard of Perfect. energy of buckets in terms of save, spend and give. But um, the, f the first business I started, the, the day I started the business, I actually sponsored a little, um, little gangster kid from uh, Uganda called Michael Sengo. <laughs> and the day I started my right. business is I started him when he was five and we sort of graduated out, which was cool, but it was a thing that I was, I, I proactively did that. But I think kids, um, these lessons of how do we teach them that from a young age, and I really like that, I've written that down, you say spin give, it's, it's pretty cool. Like how, how do you think we can do a better job with kids that educating about money, I mean, most people, most parents don't, or there's a fear around because they don't have much. They don't know how yeah, to talk about it, and that's. Exactly. I mean, that was our scenario, but yeah. Yeah, well, again, I keep challenging. I think this comes up as a regular theme every week. Is that you know we can be very transactional on everything we do, so we can kind of go. I mean, my dad used to give me a couple of bucks to shut me up and help me to disappear. You know, here's two bucks, go and buy an ice cream, and then gave him peace and quiet. Uh, but and I guess there's times when that works, but I guess. I guess, you know, I think about young people in New Zealand right now. You know, they're struggling with stuff, right? We see it all the time in the spirit. And I kind of go, if we as a nation collectively thought, you know, how do we give to that? How do we make a difference in that space? Um, then I think we can shift it around. It's very easy to blame others or get the government to do it. But, you know, how do we do it ourselves as people? And then more importantly, how do we teach young people to, to think that way as well? That if you start life by being altruistic in your thinking, um, you actually can make a huge impact, but it's okay to spend and save as well. And I think the three work together, and I think it's a bit of wholeness when it comes to that. So it's the way we've always brought up our kids, and they still think that way now, uh, and I love it. 
I absolutely love it because they just got generous hearts and generous spirits towards others that may not be doing as well as them. What age did you like? Say with homeless people on the street, you'd see and stuff. Did you did you proactively have experiences and moments where you made them see you do things helping others? Like how did you integrate in the giving? Yeah, it's a, well, I'll just go back to business. So when I sold, when we sold our business for a bit. Um, uh, Amanda was right. We're going to give a chunk of it away, which you know I love that about Amanda. I was thinking about the next sports car I could buy, but <laughs> and, and and she did, we decided to give away twenty percent. And and what was cool about it is that we decide for ourselves, but we also said to the kids, each three kids, you've got this portion of money to give away, right? So let's say for argument's sake, it was a thousand dollars, right? Because if she sold our business, we asked them to choose and think deeply about where they want to make a measurable impact. Nice. One of my, daughter, my daughter gave to a, um, a group uh, that helps young women get out of prostitution in India, and so she gave money to that, and then and then she still gives it to it to this day. And my other daughter gave to Starship because she had an experience of Starship Hospital, so she gave to mm. that. And my son was a bit more sort of he spread he spread it out a bit more than that. But it's just teaching people that yes, it's good to earn, it's good to work hard, it's good to do well, but it's also good to give. Mm. Mm. And so at a young age, we start at your kid's age. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and seeing it and giving it, it's cool. I mean, Buffett did a similar thing with his kids, get, made them choose where they're going to put some um, money away. And, yeah, it's those experiences, I think, they, they shape a lot where they know that other people aren't as fortunate as themselves to, to, to have that sort of give mentality, which is which is quite good. And Kiwis are obviously pretty generous um, with a lot of things, yep. but I guess creating those buckets of, you know, save, spend, give, and create environments for that is, yep. is pretty good. Very cool. But I think the key point is effective altruism too. You want it to be effective. So it's like an investment. You're looking for an investment with a social outcome. So you want to invest in things and places and people where you know it's going to do the most good and have the biggest impact. Um, mm. So you still can be strategic and you still can be smart, but you'd be generous. I love it. Good, good, good banter. How's that Oh, I always get the soul vibe. And I'll be back in two weeks. So we'll be hugging and high fives before you know it, man. But I really appreciate your time I'm on the Saturday. To seeing you, man. Yeah. yeah, bro. It's going to be good. And uh, good luck with the rest of the, the, the reading. And um, uh, Hinamore Elder is a absolute weapon. And stoked that she's in the circle oh and, and doing some great things. And she's extremely smart. <laughs> What's up to her in her book? I don't know if you haven't checked it out. Definitely give it a, give it a look and a read. 100%. Okay, mate. Kaki Tiano. Later, my friend. Mr. Bruce Pearlbauer, CEO of Spirit of Adventure. Good friend, very wise soul. Uh, that's it for Uncle Bruce for another week. Uh, time to recap and see what we've learned today. See you after the break. It's 1.54, almost wrapping up the, the show here on Today FM. We'll be at live, episode 310. Live from San Francisco. And streaming now on Facebook Live. It's Rebet Live with how to turn your passion into profit. On Today FM. Always like feeling you off the show with a good little vibe here, which we've got going on. 157 in Auckland, Aotearoa, and all around Aotearoa, not just Auckland, everywhere. And uh, 657 here in San Francisco. What did we learn this week? From Bruce, we learned about saving, spending, and giving. Figuring out those three different buckets for your kids, pretty cool. Stefan Powell, Kiwi Company doing aerospace. Sustainable tourism in space, space mining. Incredible. Talked about the markets. Oh. Learned about some automation, some digital transformation. As a business owner, don't be afraid to ask a dumb question. There is no dumb question. Go to Google if you don't want to ask a person. There is so much automation and there's so many great things which you can digitize into your business to save time. You should do it. 
And what I learned going to Disneyland and spending a ridiculous amount of money, but trying to keep the family happy, because happy wife, happy life, you know how that is. No, I'm talking about, is uh, it is possible to be totally creative and also uh, fully commercial as well. Coming up next, we're going to have uh, checking in with uh, John Day talking about some sport. Are you there, John? How are you, brother? I am, Rebecca. G'day, mate. Oh, mate, we're coming in hot. I like it. What's yeah. popping off on Sport Next? There's a bunch happening. I'm excited to see what's going on. Yeah, we've got a massive four hours coming up for you. Uh, Richie Moonga is our big guest at 2.30 this afternoon, so in about half an hour's time. He scored 1,000 points, not in last night's game, but all up in his Super Rugby career. He brought that up last night, so talking to him at 2.30. David Nika, a very talented New Zealand boxer. He's at quarter to four. He has an opponent for his third professional fight in Melbourne next month, which is very exciting. Uh, in our last hour, we talked to Jacob Spoonley at 5.30 because the Wellington Phoenix are playing a playoff game of football tonight, lose, and they go home. So Jacob Spoonley will be able to tell us all about that. And Rebet, a huge game of basketball about to tip off your Golden State Warriors Let's against go. New Zealand's Memphis Grizzlies with Stephen Adams. We will be talking NBA at quarter past three with George Berry. That is going to be such a mega game. I may or not be about to tune into it, uh, which is super cool. Uh, thanks so much, Sean. Very cool sport coming up next on Today FM. Good crew, good vibes. Uh, we always finish off with one little thing, and that thing is uh, Mama's Book of Wisdom. I've got a little book. Today's quote is, Beneath the complexity of life lies deeper and deeper layers of simplicity. Think about that for a sec, team. Thank you to TT. Thank you to all the guests. Thank you for you for listening. Thank you for learning with me. Learn, share, repeat as we continue it on. Much love, Aotearoa. I hope you guys are winning. I will be seeing you soon. Flying back in two weeks. Let's get ready to party. Let's go. On 90.2 Auckland, this is Today FM News.